Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I have a guest today that I've wanted to speak to for years. And I am so excited that he is here. Jerry Kaplan, welcome. Oh, thank you, Ginny. It's really a pleasure to be here. So nice to finally see you in person. Yeah, well, that's how I feel because you didn't even know I existed. But I will tell you that I read this book that you wrote, Humans Need Not Apply. You wrote in 2015. And I just, I mean, I was just absorbed this book. I I love it. Humans Need Not Apply. And since then, well, I haven't had the podcast since then, but for the past couple of years, I'm like, oh, I really want to talk to this guy. And, you know, you're like, you're a professor. You've written a ton of books, a ton of books. And so finally, you have a new book coming out, and that was my in. Uh, and so here we are. You have a new book coming out about artificial intelligence, generative artificial intelligence, with the subtitle, What Everyone Needs to Know, which is the truth. It's a fascinating book. I have pages and pages and pages of notes on this book. So, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Oh, Jenny, it's my pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I adore both books so much. I want to focus in, we don't have a ton of time today, but we're going to focus in on a couple topics. And I want to start here with this one. So we are a homeschooling family and I have a good friend that's a ho- that homeschoolers with us and we've homeschooled all the way through and our kids are now starting to hit high school. And we had this conversation the other day where she was like, oh, we literally just had this conversation, Jerry. She was like, I just don't know if my ninth grade daughter is like, if she is, she writes papers well enough. And, you know, you're always whether you homeschool, you send your kid to private, however you do your education. We're always like, oh, are there holes? Are there holes? And your book covers this topic of what should we be exposing our kids to? What should we be expecting them to know how to do? And I thought it was fascinating because the writing thing has come up like with chat GPT. And I love how each chapter of the book, there's like a summary that was done by chat GPT and you kind of relate it to the calculator that at the beginning, and, and maybe if you're raising kids right now, you wouldn't have been around for that debate where the teachers were like, no way, no calculators. And then you said, now calculators are required. So what's a parent to do in this day and age about knowing what to focus on when it comes to their kids' education? Boy, that's a really good question. And uh, I actually have a number of comments that I'd like, like to make about that. Uh, in terms of what they should focus on with respect to preparing them for the new world of what it's going to be like when we have generative AI all around us and chatbots like you see uh, today, is really to get the uh, children comfortable with using these tools and to understand what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. And there are both. But I think to really answer your question well, there's kind of a preliminary thing, which is what are people, parents in particular, going to use these tools for when it comes to education for their children? And so if you you don't mind me uh, asking myself that question, and then we can come back to, well, what should you do now? This is going to be really amazing, particularly for homeschoolers. It's going to be very important because in the not too distant future, we're going to have what you might think of as a custom tutor. These systems will be a custom tutor for your kids. It's going to make life a lot, not only a lot easier for the parents, but the education that the children get, gets is going to be so much better and uh, it'll be much more effective because they'll be interacting with a coach or a uh, teacher, if you will, that is infinitely patient, that pays careful attention, that's very polite, that never gets upset, doesn't drink, smoke, or curse. (laughs) So the future of education, not just at home, but also in uh, schools and in other settings, 
is going to be very different than it's been in the past because these systems are extremely good, not just in answering questions, but at tutoring people and providing just the kind of customized, thoughtful, individualized education that you really want. And that is really what good homeschooling is all about. It's not, you know, a kid sitting in a classroom being bored by some teacher. It's going to be a machine that understands, oddly enough, what's interesting that that student, what are they having trouble with? Where do they need encouragement? You know, how do we uh, get them to broaden their thinking? How do we encourage them to uh, be more analytic or more thorough or expose them to other points of view? These are things that these systems are just going to be absolutely terrific for. It's like hiring your own personal tutor or nanny, like royalty did, you know, in the last couple of centuries. I think that's going to be extremely exciting. What's interesting to me, Jerry, is like at some point there is a transition where it changes, right? So if you say like, okay, everyone was freaked out about the calculator, but at some point it's like, I remember like you had to have a TI-83 graphing calculator. You had to have it for your high school classes. It's like, when do you think, like when, how, how does it change? Well, the transition from here to there, I think, is is what you're asking about. Yeah. I think the answer is it's going to go fairly slowly and step by step, particularly because parents and teachers are going to be very suspicious of having their children taught by a machine. The questions that you would ask are the same questions you're going to ask about a teacher today. Like, does it share my values? You know, what is it teaching my kid? What if my kid asks about something I really don't want it to answer or... uh, you know, I wanted to stay away from certain kinds of topics or not read certain kinds of things. Those are the kinds of questions that parents and teachers are going to be asking. And what we're going to find, although we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in this conversation on this, is specialized chatbots, for lack of a better word. These are actually called large language models, but specialized chatbots that are designed specifically for your kind of community. So, you know, if you're, if you're into Christian schooling, for example, there'll be chatbots that can bring biblical stories and ideas into the lesson plans and to present them in a particular way. Now, it might be different in different cultures, but you'll be able to craft these to your own individual needs or how you would like your children to be taught. The other cool thing is you can review everything that they say. You know, there'll be a complete record. So anything they don't, you don't like, guess what? You go to that chatbot, as funny as that sounds, and you say, I don't want you talking about this anymore, and here's why. And the chatbot will say, got it. You're the boss. I know what to do. Or you, you might ask the chatbot, if there's anything that my child brings up about this subject or that subject, I'd like to know about it because I want to find out what they're getting into. Who are they talking to? Why is this the case? To put it a little bit crudely, the chatbot will be able to rat out the kid and uh, tell the parent what the kid's thinking about and what they need to be to be careful about. So I think it's particularly for homeschooling, this is going to be fantastic. So how does it start? Well, you begin with one subject. I got a, a chatbot that will do fifth grade math. Okay. And so you're going to take that and set them down and let the kid work with it. It'll say, okay, they're up. They can learn this concept, that concept. They're up to this lesson. Give you a complete breakdown, a complete review of what it's all about. And then you might get more comfortable. Okay, well, I didn't see anything go wrong. You know, the chatbot wasn't trying to tell my children to run away from home or whatever it might be. So now you add another subject and another subject. And eventually you kind of craft your own 
chatbot by telling it what to do so that you're more comfortable about the way in which it interacts with your child and the things that it does to teach your child. I think it's going to be the impact on education and the control and the transparency that parents will have is going to be absolutely astounding. And we'll just take it step by step as people get comfortable. Fascinating. Yeah. Jerry, that's what I'm saying, parents, because the parent, I would venture to say that 99 out of 100 parents that are listening, maybe more, would be like, I've never heard of this. And that's why I think your books are so powerful. We need to know what's coming. That I love the subtitle, what everyone <laughs> needs to know. And it circles back to this question of right now, what should we be focusing on with our kids? And I love how you laid, it's like you stepped into it. Like you're talking about these new technologies, like the wheel and the telephone and the printing press. And so you logically that because so many of us, myself included, are like, ah, there's not going to be any jobs, right? It's like coding is now, and, I think, and you talked about it in humans need not apply. It's like the drones are coming and they're going to paint your house and you start to panic as a parent. Like there's not going to be anything for my kid to do. We're not going to have any jobs. But you had already laid the groundwork to be like, well, hey, you know, you're using a telephone, you use wheels. <laughs> Are people out of work? No, no. And so this is such a hope-filled message that doom and gloom is not coming because of these increases in technology. So can you walk us through that? Sure. Well, you might worry, a lot of people worry that the robots are coming. Mm -hmm. And they think of a robot as a substitute for a human being and that they can do all kinds of work. But this is something that's just been born out of the way, the way robots are and artificial intelligence is presented in TV and in the movies. And that's really not the way it actually is and the way that it's going to be. Artificial intelligence, the best way to think about it is it's really a new wave of automation. And everybody's afraid of automation when it first hits. Oh, my God. Now you can dial your own phone, a phone number yourself. You don't need to talk to an operator. Believe it or not, I'm old enough to remember the days when you used to pick up the phone and somebody would say, what number? Number, please. That's what they would say. And you, you tell them what number, and they would go ahead and use a, a plug board to connect your call. The point of, I'm trying to make is there have been many, many waves of automation, and it's constantly going on. And the job market is surprisingly adaptable to these kinds of changes. So there will be plenty of jobs in the future. They'll just be different jobs than we had in the past. Automation has certain effects. One, it makes us much more efficient. And as a result, it generates wealth. What we do with that wealth is we spend it. And when we spend it, that generates jobs. It shifts the nature of the work. So the jobs of the future are not going to be like the jobs of the past. Let me give you a great example. If you interviewed me five years ago, I might have said, teach your kids to learn how to program. Well, guess what? Now we have machines, surprisingly, that can program at a completely expert level, and all you got to do is tell them what you want. It's absolutely astonishing. Programmers looked at these tools, and they go, my skills are obsolete. I don't need to do this anymore. But there's a new skill, which is now you've got to be able to explain to the machine how to do it and what you want. And that's, that's very different. You know, if I give you a really interesting historical example that I was actually just lecturing about in my course yesterday, it's so cool. Uh, it was in the middle of the 1800s that photography was invented. And as soon as it was invented, people knew immediately what it was for, what to do with it. You used to have, if you wanted a portrait of your family, you had to go to a painter and they'd have to sit for hours and some poor painter, you know, going, you know, drawing the whole thing out. And all of a sudden, you could just go into the studio for a very nominal price, even back then, in mid-1800s, for $5, sit down, 
They press a button on the camera, boom, you've got your family portrait. Well, you know, artists thought this was horrible. This is going to be terrible. But it turns out, of course, that photography itself has become a form of art. What you're really doing in the terms that they would have used in the mid 1800s is you're coaching the camera how to make the painting. <laughs> and that's what we're going to have with these new systems. And so the critical skill, getting back to your first question, is you need to teach your children, or they will learn on their own, believe me, how to effectively use these tools to accomplish some task or to wrangle them to accomplish what you want. So people are going to become managers of the machines. In that sense, that's the way in which we're going to interact with and use this new technology. It's not that they're going to come in, a robot's going to come into the house and say, okay, mom, we're done with you now. I can make all the food. I can make the beds. You know, that's not the way it's going to be. You know, the mother's going to use these systems in order to make their lives easier and to uh, find ways to do a better job and easier and a lower cost. It's just, it's like, it's going to be like the invention of the washing machine. I just breathe a sigh of relief when I read your book because I have been like, the (laughs) the robots are coming. But what's in here? Parents want to pick this book up. Which jobs are leaving? Which jobs are staying? And then you said, it was an amazing statistic. 57% of the jobs that workers did in 1960 no longer exist today. So this is something that has always been happening. This is not a new phenomenon. Jobs have always been changing. And I just felt such a relief because coding has been really pushed, you know, and it's like, well, people are going to have to adjust and do something different. You said it used to cost $1,200 a day, comparable 12 cents a day, a 10,000 fold difference. Software engineering as it's practiced today will soon be toast. So that's what I'm saying. Parents need to read this. It's absolutely fascinating. And one of the things I loved, if we could hit on as a last topic that you were saying is that it seems like almost things are coming full circle where I thought this was really exciting that some of the jobs of the future will be very human oriented. Yes, very much so. And I loved that part. You're talking about Etsy. You're talking about service and connecting with humans. So can you talk to us about that? Sure. Well, generally, in the past, when we've had automation, it's been a substitute typically for physical labor. Machines, you know, putting something together or uh, making furniture, whatever. Things that used to be done by hand are now done by a machine. The next wave really came with the introduction of computers, where a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call it intellectual, but clerical work, managing papers, filing things and typing things and whatever, you know, that got automated. We don't need to do that any longer. Instead, there were people who need to manage those systems, you know, filing, electronic filing systems and things like that. Well, now the computers actually are coming for some of the creative work, which is really interesting. Uh, graphics, making pictures, uh, in your context, I think that like a child's book report in five years is going to look like a corporate brochure looks like today. It's going to be that beautiful and that easy. And the critical skill is that they know how to make that happen. But what jobs are left? And what are the new jobs? And what jobs aren't going to get automated? Well, those are the ones that involve face-to-face communication. Those that involve expressing sympathy or empathy or making some kind of personal connection uh, or building a relationship of trust. You know, that's something that you're going to want to do. The way I think I put it in the book, I hope I did, you've read it more recently than I have, is, you know, people aren't going to want to tell their troubles to a robotic bartender. You know, mm-hmm. you'll want to talk to a human being. So uh, I don't think that we're going to have bars that are become like automats, if you know what that is, uh, showing my age again. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of stuff, plenty of work. And a lot of the jobs that are going to create 
be uh, new jobs are going to be like the kind making things for places like Etsy. My wife has a wonderful phrase that she uses for this stuff because she buys stuff on Etsy all the time. She says, I like the human content. I don't want machine made stuff. I want something where I know that somebody sewed it themselves or that has the kinds of characteristics and flaws, if you will, or variation, it's a better word, that humans tend to put into the things that they create. Just that's what she wants to surround herself with. Well, that's the future. It's a future of arts and crafts and tour guides and experts and things like that. Hobbies. I remember you said hobbies. Hobbies. Hobbies today will become professions in the future because we're going to be a lot more wealthy and we're going to have a lot more money. Uh, the things that today nobody would pay you to do in the future, I think we're going to uh, find, you know, if you grow prize orchids or something like that, you'll be able to make a living doing that. And I think that's just going to be a wonderful new world. I'm very optimistic about it. Now, there are lots of issues and problems that this technology is going to create, but this is not one of them. This is one of the things that's going to be fabulous. And I'm so glad that you brought it up. People can read about the issues and problems there in the book. <laughs> well, all the things yeah. you're going to have to figure out, right? It's all in there. Right. How, you know, how do we manage and legally and who's responsible? It's, it's fascinating to read. And you said, I want to read the sentence because I really loved it. Well, you said, you know, the Ritz-Carlton or these certain places are teeming with human attendants. It's not old-fashioned. It's because customers prefer they want this face-to-face. -face. But when you're talking about the robotic bartender, it says, today's jobs that benefit from face-to-face -face contact aren't at risk, even if it's possible to automate them. Wow. Our grandchildren are not going to want to tell their troubles to a robotic bartender. That's what I just said. <laughs> yes, you said. Or watch a robot play Chopin on the violin. So the irony of the coming wave of automation is that it may herald a golden age of personal service. So just fascinating. Which jobs are leaving? Which jobs are saying? When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, 
AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. I want to read you my favorite sentence of the whole book. Are you ready? Sure. I loved this. You said, I thought this was it. Like this hits this topic of, I don't need to be so freaked out. Imagine what the average person from 1800 would think if they could see us today. They would think we have all gone crazy. Why not work a few hours a week, buy a sack of potatoes and a jug of wine, build a shack in the woods, dig a hole for an outhouse, and the live a life of leisure. <laughs> oh, that's it. That hits the nail on the head, right? It's like, no, people are always going to want to do things and use their money. It's just about figuring out what they might be doing with those things. And that's going to help to drive us forward. So to me, it makes me think, you know, social interaction is an important component of a technological world and being adaptable and knowing what's going on. And so your book this is coming out. It'll be out by the time this podcast airs, people. It's fascinating. I mean, I have like a novel of notes here. I've got 15 pages of notes. Generative artificial intelligence, what everyone needs to know. Jerry Kaplan, an author I have wanted to talk to for a very long time. I'm so grateful that you were here. Thank you. We always end our show with the same question. And that question is, what is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Outside? Outside, I think it was, I grew up in New York and we used to get a lot of snow. I think that's changed a bit. And probably my favorite outside memory was when you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden the whole backyard is gone and it's all white. And you get on the, we wore these weird snow suits. I don't even know what they were. And, uh, you know, they put on your boots and your snowsuit and send you out there. And it would be up to your hips. And you had to walk and struggle to get across the snow. And I used to have a, a sled. I don't remember. There was some, I forget the name on it, but it had like a little bar in the front. You put your feet on, you could steer it yeah, just a yeah. little bit. Like a red radio, red flyer. I, was that what they were called? Yeah, it was a, was a red flyer. Yeah, maybe it was a red flyer. Yeah. I, I remember that. And believe me, I would never let my children do that today. It's way too dangerous. <laughs> but, you know, where else can you, you know, do something where you're going 20 miles an hour sitting on a wooden plank? <laughs> It was a lot of fun. And uh, those of us that survived that era, uh, you know, I think uh, have, have very fond memories mm -hmm. of that. Oh, thank you so much. Jenny, it's been, it's been such a pleasure. I'll tell you this seriously. You are the best interviewer I have had in years. Aww. And uh, yeah, it's really true. You know, you're a wonderful interviewer. Aww, uh, believe you. me, I do this all the time. You have no idea. You are absolutely an a-plus interviewer, and I'm sure that's why you have such a big following. Thank you so and much. And you're incredibly well-prepared. You knew my, you know my book better than I do. You know, it actually takes a long time. I didn't write it yesterday, sure. and it comes out. It takes months and months. Yeah. So if you want to continue, I'd be more than happy, you know, if you really want to You're going to stay hour. on? So oh, yes. Okay. I will be yeah, thrilled because I want to talk. And maybe you can, you can cut, this, okay. cut this up the okay. way you want. I, didn't, I don't want to cut you short. Anybody who's done that much fabulous work. You're absolutely amazing. Oh, so I, well, I so yeah, appreciate that. I would love. Oh, I would be so honored. I, I, I do have other things. 
I, there was a sentence in there and I was trying oh, to. My wife can wait. <laughs> my wife can wait. Where is he? Where is he? You, well, you even threw it out there. <laughs> Books done, get packed, let's go play, which I, I love that. Or let's play to your wife. There's a, <laughs> an amazing introduction to the book just about like our humanness. And I love that. So please tell her I said thank you. I would love to talk about this piece of companionship. And because you said turning to machines for emotional support is coming. And there's maybe some pros and cons here. And I actually was surprised the way that you went with it. I kind of thought it was going to be more of a pro than a con because you were talking about Sherry Turkle and how an older person might use a chat bot for companionship and that's going to make their kids feel less guilty. Kind of seems like a win-win. But then you said in the, it's her quote ended with, in the process, we betray ourselves. So I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. Today, man's best friend may be the dog, but tomorrow his or her closest companion maybe a GAI, a general artificial, generalized artificial intelligence. I said that right. Generalized artificial intelligence powered chat bot. So I think parents really want to know about this. Well, I think this is going to be a big issue. Yes, there are some positives, but there are many negatives. It used to be the case, to put this in, I think, terms that people have some experience with. It used to be the case if, if you got lonely or at the end of the day and you wanted to talk to other people or you wanted to have some kind of interaction, you had to go out of your house and you know go down to the local coffee shop or bar or whatever what it was. And that's that's where you got your connection to to other human beings. Now today we're much more disconnected than that because what do you do? You go home, you turn on the television. And most of those shows, many of those shows, particularly the family-oriented shows, are really designed to make you feel like you've got friends. Mm. And they're a substitute for you having actual friends. I used to uh, look at a show like The View. I don't know if that's still on. I assume it is. Excuse me, ladies. I'm not, you know, not a daytime TV watcher. But on The View, they used to do things like put a cup of coffee on the end of the table near you. So you felt like you were part of the team. Wow. And so as they would talk, you felt like you were at the table with them. And you know, we were just there talking with your friends, you know, on this. Well, I don't know that that's a good thing. It is for people who can't get out and don't have those opportunities. Uh, you may be stuck at home taking care of your children or housework or whatever it is. And it's a substitute, though, for being able to socialize face to face. Well, this is going to be the problem. Imagine that you had a scene like they have on The View and you're sitting there. And not only are you able to listen, you're able to talk and you're able to interact with those people. And they have interesting things to say and they listen to you and they agree or they disagree. I mean, the emotional benefits from that, uh, I should, that's the wrong word, the emotional attraction to doing that, to satisfying your need for socialization is going to be extremely strong. And you've read the book, I used some fairly strong language in trying to describe uh, what that was about. Mm -hmm. In the end, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? If we reduce the need for us to be face-to-face -face with others and have genuine human interaction, I think that makes us less human, not more human. And I don't think necessarily that's a very good thing. So my advice is, if you can, unplug the TV and go out and meet with the other people in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. as opposed to watch, you know, whoever they've got on uh, what used to be Regis and Kelly. I don't even know what it is today. Well, it almost seems like there's been this slope. It's like we're starting here with these family sitcoms. And then now it's like, well, I feel like I know people because I see everything that they're doing. 
in real time. You know, they've got a story on social media or that updates with Snapchat or Instagram stories. It's like it's updating constantly. So you can literally see what someone else is doing. I have people that say because I have a podcast, like, you know, it's like I'm listening to your voice. It's like, like I feel like we're already friends. And there's all of these pieces that have already sort of seeded the ground. And I'm going to be talking next week to a, a friend of ours who is in this space and he's married, but he has, um, because he's testing it out and he's in this space, he's testing out a chat, an AI girlfriend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the things that he said about how powerful it is because there's so many data points and they know what you want to talk about. And they're going to be, it's like what, kind of what you were talking about with the teacher. It's like, you know, if you come home from a day at work, a husband and wife, and you both kind of had a bad day and you're rubbing, you know, it's going to rub each other the wrong way, but the chatbot isn't. The chatbot's going to be interested in. I mean, it's it's I, you guys mind boggled. I'm still in the spot where I'm a little mind boggled by it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I feel like with the way that technology is rolling, and you, I love how you talk about the exponential growth, and you talked about Lake Michigan and how quickly it would fill up, and you almost feel like we're having this conversation now. In two years, we could be inundated with this. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, two years might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's definitely coming. Uh, it is utterly astonishing. These uh, systems are like chameleons. They can be whatever you want, whenever you want it. And in fact, we were talking a little bit about it. Well, how are people going to use these? One of the things you need to do is in managing them to do what you want, what you want is uh, an area that's called prompt engineering. It's a, a little bit of a silly name, but you put prompts in. You say, uh, I'd like you to draw me a picture of a, you know, a, a polar bear in a snowstorm, and I want it to be holding a bottle of Coke. And how you describe it and your ability to get it to do the right thing, it's a little bit like training a dog, you know, does it sit up? Does it, does it uh, do what, it, uh, what you want it to do? So the issue is how do you get these things to do what you want? And you're going to need to learn how to describe what you want in ways that make the chatbot work. And one of the techniques that seems to be really cool is you tell it to role play. Explain this to me as if you were an economics expert. And that changes how it does it. Now, I want to tell you something. A paper just came out on this that I think your audience is going to think is, I hope they'll find it as funny as I did, but it's, it's really a scientific study and it's true. One of the techniques for improving the performance of these chatbots to get them to give better and more focused answers and more thoughtful answers is you tell them you're going to pay them a hundred bucks if they give you a good answer. What? I'm not kidding. You can bribe them. That causes them to focus what they're doing. Now, we don't have time in this podcast, we'll explain why that's the case. But our whole concept of how computers work and how we interact with them is going to change dramatically. The truth is, you can actually bribe a computer program to do a better job. To me, that was just astonishing. There's an academic study that was just published showing that along with about 25 other techniques for getting better results out of these systems. Unbelievable. Well, because what's changed is that they've come up with the ability to learn. Well, they do. Like how a child would learn. Yes. Well, we're taking like how a child would learn. It was like usually beforehand, the technology was just a, you do this and it will do what you need to do. And now they've added somehow, they figured out how to add this learning component, right. similar to how we learn and grow as people. Absolutely. Now, there are two things to say about that. So you're going to think about, you'll be interacting with them, these systems, the way you interact with sort of a, a very intelligent and attentive and cooperative dog. So you have to train it to do what you want. No, don't, don't do that with me. Don't say things that way. You know, you're talking too much, you know, whatever you're going to do with them. 
Now, your tendency is going to be to think initially, why? There's a mind there. There's a, an artificial person. There's somebody whose feelings can be hurt. Uh, that's the reaction you're going to have because the only examples of anything that can behave like that that we've ever known have been genuine flesh and blood human beings. That's now about to change. But don't mistake that for thinking that there's somebody home, you know, that these things have minds or that they care or that they're going to rise up and take over or drink all your fine wine and marry your children. You know, that's not what this is, is going to be about. And just to, uh, to give you a little comfort that this is going to be the case, I don't know if you have at home uh, something like Siri or Google Voice. We, uh, we, I know what it is, though. Okay. A lot of people have these at home. I have them. I'm sitting right here. In fact, I'm surprised it didn't wake up and, and say <laughs> something to me, which it often does when I'm in the middle, middle of interviews. Well, when you first get it, because it talks in a human voice, your reaction is, oh, that's really, you know, my God, the computer's coming alive. And you very quickly learn how dumb it is and how mechanical it is, and the fact that, no, it doesn't care what you say. It's sort of lacking, lacking the whole emotional color hmm. that people have, and you don't need to worry about it. It is a machine, it is a computer, but it doesn't work like or act like or behave like the kinds of machines and computers that people have dealt with in the past. And this is coming pretty quick here. In the next few years, you're going to see a lot of this stuff. And this is, okay, so what you really do is you do a fantastic job of differentiating. I mean, this is the thing when you've got in here, you know, you're, you teach courses. I mean, this is your world when you're like a mom that's like trying to figure out what's for dinner, all this stuff is swirling around out there and you want to kind of know about it, right? Cause you should, cause you've got kids, you're going to send them out into this world, but you don't even necessarily really know where to look or find the answers. And that's why I love your books so much because you do lay the groundwork. This is, generative AI. And I have to tell you, Jerry, that up until reading your book, I actually, and this is the title of the book, generative, I hadn't heard of it. Really? No. Have you used a chat GPT or any of those systems? Yes, I've used it. Yeah. And I use, I use it to do my podcast. Um, I use it to do the summaries. I'm like, it's amazing. I was like, right. here's the topics we talk about. Give me a summary. And it's great. Yeah. It's great because I can put out, and I think this is to your point, because actually my husband was like, that sounds like it was written by a computer. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I don't think anybody cares too much about the summary. And also, you know, it's gotten even better, I think, in the last year. But I'm like, I also don't really care. Or you can just say, like, make it sound more personal. Don't use that word. I mean, you can just tell what to do, right? Exactly. So I use ChatGPT for that. But I didn't even know it was called generative AI. And you say, over the next few decades, generative AI will stretch our social fabric to the limit. To mistake our modern computers for generative AI is to confuse plumbing with water. Can you give, I know it's such a big question, but just like for the, there are moms that are listening that are like, what, what is this? Can you just give yeah. a, over, what is, what is this? Well, you know, this is something that is so new and different that it's almost difficult for me to communicate this in words over a podcast. And the best way to do it is go out and try it yourself. It's free. Yeah. You can go on, a, you know, it's built into your browser. Uh, you can ask questions. You can, you can and do all this. So what is it exactly? Even the technologists are still struggling to understand why this is able to do what it, what it does. Basically, it's what's called a machine learning system, which is about what it sounds like. And we've used machine learning for years and years. Uh, you read that uh, book I wrote, what, 15, 10 years yeah. ago, you know, which was talking about uh, that this. 
So like you can show pictures of dogs and cats and it'll learn what a dog is and what a cat is. And then you can show it a picture and say, what is this? And it'll say, oh, that's a dog or that's a cat. That's learning. And that basic idea has now been extended in a very, very uh, dramatic way. I don't want to get into a lot of the technical details. It'll just bore your uh, listeners. But it's been extended so that now it's fundamentally different. Instead of just classifying things and recognizing things, now it's generating things. That's where the name comes from. So you can say to it things like, hey, give me a poem for my kid's birthday. And here's a couple of things I want you to mention in the poem. And you will be shocked, shocked at how good it is at writing really <laughs> I've used poetry. it for that too. I'm like, uh-huh. can you write a birthday message for my friend? And she likes this, that, and that. Or I've used it for party ideas. I'm trying to throw a Super Bowl party. What are some recipes? Mm-hmm. And like you said, it goes to everything. When you ask AI something, you're not asking someone, you're asking everyone. Correct. That's right. It's not, you're not asking, a, it's not like asking a single person because the way these things have been trained, they're trained on basically everything that the companies that are training them can get their hands on. And that's an enormous volume of verbiage. It's sort of like the whole content of the internet. And because of that, very interestingly, these systems reflect both our strengths and our weaknesses Mm. and our ideas and things that we're, our prejudices and our biases. So this is a big issue right now because some of these systems express or learn to express terrible ideas, racist ideas or, or whatever. And now they have to be trained not to do that, or you have to control them. So they're not learning the wrong things. Just like you send your kid to school. You don't know who they're talking to. You don't know what they're getting into. If you shovel in literally trillions of words, like every book in the Library of Congress is the kind of thing that is ingested into the training of these systems. They're almost... uh, I hesitate to use this word, but they're almost godlike in terms of the breadth of what they they know. It so exceeds what any individual human can understand. And what happened was they began to behave in ways that you and I would call intelligent. So it got to the point you could have a conversation with them. Now, you're not talking to somebody, but it's able to generate out of this body of knowledge that it's been ingested. What would the average person say, what is a reasonable response given that you ask this question, what do I see in this mountain or this sea of information that would help me to formulate the proper answer for you? Now, it's important to understand it's not retrieving answers. It's not copying answers. This whole thing is integrated together in this really amazing internal form called a neural network that's analogous in a way to your brain that allows it to become creative, allows it to think of new things. And they're really uh, kind of, I'm going to use the technical term, interpolated between all the things that people have said. So it's not limited to the things that people have said, but it is based on everything that everybody has ever said. And if if you haven't had a chance to try one of these, it's just astonishing and shocking. So I, I would encourage you to do that. Wow. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. I remember when I read in Humans Need Not Apply about Watson because it it really stopped me in my tricks because I like to read. And I would say, you know, if I could read a book a week, that's quite a bit. And it was like Watson was able to search through, you know, these are my old notes from that book, Mm -hmm. but Watson was able to search through. I mean, it was an astronomical amount of data books you know in like and then it was like jerry i was like i'm like oh my goodness there's so many books then it was like in three seconds <laughs> you know it's something that you can't even comprehend and i yeah. i wonder if if this is the part of it that's that makes it kind of scary is because you know you're talking through you're like okay well everybody can understand a wheel and what it does and what you can do with it and everybody can sort of understand a printing press and to a degree you can sort of understand electricity and then it's just snowballed a little bit. Like even the telephone, it's like, okay, you can sort of understand that someone's connecting me to this, but I've got a friend right now that's in France and I can talk to her on my cell phone in real time. I'm not connected to anything. Yep. It has become like, I, and I've had people talk about their qubits and quantum computers and sub freezing space temperatures. And I'm like, what? Is there ever a time again where you think, we'll understand the technology more? Well, we do understand it, we built it, but what we can't do because it is so complex and uh, so dependent on its training process and its training protocols, we can't predict necessarily what it's going to do. 
And most of the academic work that I read through now, this is what I have to do all day, is uh, trying to figure out, well, what's it good at? What's it not good at? Mm. And we're talking about systems. I got to put this in perspective for you. These things can ace the SAT tests. They can pass the bar exam. You haven't gotten into the things like medical applications. It's You're going to be consulting electronic doctors, not because you can't get to a real doctor, but because it's better mm -hmm. and because it knows more and it can be more thorough. Recent studies are just shocking on this as they begun to use them in clinical settings for medicine, uh, how much better they are at doctors at listening to the patient, understanding what they need, and then in a much more objective way, recommending what kind of course of action they might want to take. Ginny, you said one thing that I think I, if I could clarify for your audience yeah. might help. You mentioned Watson. They probably don't know. Most people don't know. That's this computer program from IBM that I forget the year. Like, I f and I found that I found that it says Watson can sift through an equivalent. I mean, this is that's what you're kind of saying, right? This is older at this point. Watson can sift through an equivalent of about one million books. One million books, or <laughs> that I was like what? Or roughly 200 million pages of data. And I was already blown away, right? And then it said, and analyze this information and provide, because this is like Jeopardy, right? He won Jeopardy, Watson, when he said he, Watson won Jeopardy, right. and provide precise responses in less than three seconds. Yeah. Now, again, for your audience, so they understand what Watson was, it was a computer program written by IBM for the purpose of winning Jeopardy, the TV show where they ask smart people questions. And it did, it won, uh, which is an interesting story. But Jenny, here's the difference. That was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And what the systems are doing today is fundamentally different. It's not just bigger, which it is. It's, you talk about, a, what do you say, a million books? Yeah. We're talking about just- Every book. Imagine everything, that, everything that's been said on wow. Twitter since the beginning of time, everything. But Watson retrieved information. What it did was it said, I've got a fact here, and that's what they're going to be the answer to this question. And that's one of the reasons they were able to win on Jeopardy. It was an ability to reference and retrieve information that was very specific and already listed in those books. This is different. This reads all of that stuff and then kind of mixes it up in a giant mixer that creates an understanding of what all this means. That's what's so cool wow. about it. And so when it gives you an answer, you can't say, well, where'd you get that answer from? It doesn't even know. Just like if you asked me, you know, uh, uh, you know, some, some, some question or some fact and say, you say, well, how do you know that? Or where'd you find that? I don't know where I saw it. I, you know, that's just, that's the way it answers questions the way people do. And it gets things wrong all the time, just the way people do. And it makes things up, which is a big problem because it's not sure what's real and what's not. And it knows that, well, you know, Jerry Kaplan wrote a book about this and he wrote a book about that. Well, I think maybe he wrote, also wrote a book about something else and it will come out with the most ridiculous things. Well, Jerry Kaplan said in his book, such and such, and there is no such book. Mm -hmm. and the technical term for this, and I'm not kidding, is called hallucination. Uh, right now, these systems have terrible problems with hallucination because they're really exhibiting what in humans we would call imagination. Mm. They have terrific imagination because they're just fed in everything. And this just doesn't happen with words. This is happening with pictures. This mm. is happening with sound. Yep. So you can, other systems say, say, hey, give me a song in the style of Drake or Taylor Swift. And it will put out something that is genuinely, it, I, I saw an interview with a music critic 
and said, I listened to one of these things and I had no idea it wasn't by that particular artist. Wow. It was absolutely, you know, a one, but it's completely new and completely different. So uh, maybe that's a good way to explain this. If Watson were working in sound, it could go say, let me give you a clip out of this guy's recording. That's what Watson would do. What this does is it says, let me give you a song that I that person might have written, you know, if they were doing it on this particular topic or in this particular style, and it gets it right. Hmm. I'm so glad I've read your books because I think that's helped me to understand it too. Because I remember when you first talked about Watson, you were comparing Watson actually to like chess, like a computer chess mm -hmm. and saying, okay, in computer chess, there are a lot of options of things that you could do, but there is a finite amount. You even had in this one, there was a finite, I thought it was so fascinating, of tic-tac-toe. Right. There's 255,000 unique games of tic I thought, no way. There is no way, but mm -hmm. 255,000 unique games of tic-tac-toe, and then chess has approximately this many unique games that exceeds the number of atoms in the universe, and then Jeopardy had the added element of like, what are you going to wager? So there's not really, you can't have this set number. So that was Watson. And then now we're into this generative stuff. And so it's helped me to have read your books and to see that progression because it helps you to understand in what ways that it's different. You wrote this sentence and maybe we can wrap here since I've taken so much extra of your time. Thank you. Oh, no, that's my pleasure to talk to you. I want more of your time, Jenny. You're wonderful. Come over anytime and we'll have coffee. Uh, I would absolutely love that. I, I am intrigued about your story, too, is how you have ended up. Like, what was your initial interest? And maybe we can end with that. If I throw in one, just a little extra question before them. Sure. You say, at this moment, I'm writing this. There is a Hollywood Writers Guild strike attempting to ban the use of GAI to write scripts. And I hadn't heard this word before, so I love it. I looked it up. Quixotic, I think. A quixotic Luddite demand if there ever was one. Yes. I was surprised by that ending of the sentence and I, and I loved it. Um, and also I, I like learning new words. So it was fantastic, but people are pushing back and your response is that's an unreasonable demand. They use the word Luddite. Can you unpack that? Well, yeah, in fact, it, it's kind of interesting you bring this up because it also shows how things are changing even as we write about this stuff. I wrote that almost a year ago, just so you know. And at that time, Everybody in Hollywood was up in arms about what all this was going to mean. Well, they worked it out, mm. and it wasn't banned. Uh, what they did is they uh, said, well, there has to be a human writer that reviews the material. There's a whole series of things that they did that kind of brings it halfway in the spirit of what I was talking about earlier, yeah. that these systems become tools for other people, to, for people to use to accomplish uh, whatever kind of result they're trying to get. And that was true for creative areas like writing. The same thing's uh, true. Let me come back to something I said earlier, which is when photography came around, all the painters wanted it banned. You know, it was it was a terrible thing, and you know we can't we can't have this. It's ruining the profession. And eventually, they became photographers began to be regard, regarded as artists. So they became an art in its own form. So what we're going to see with these is, is a similar kind of a, uh, a a transition here. I don't think it's something to be worried about or afraid of. This is just going to be another tool for getting a really good result and getting exactly what you want and doing it in a very, very you know, efficient and wonderful way. What a perfect example. What a perfect example. In less than a year, they worked it out. And of course, you need that human component because you're not just 
going to take that script that comes from the computer and hand it out to, no, you got to have someone that looks it over. And painters obviously still exist. Beautiful paintings. I mean, I see it all the time on social media. People are painting gorgeous things and that is still needed. Can we just end with, how'd you end up here? What's the story? What's my story? Yeah. Uh, can you give me a little guidance? So you mean like- I mean- you are who I go to. Oh, you're so kind. Like, all right, all right. I'm this, you know, mom, this, you know, just homemaker, right? I'm this mom. <laughs> who do I turn to to like kind of know what's going on in the world? And so I can just help to prepare my children and to have some sense. And obviously this world changes so rapidly. To me, it's a, a field that I would probably shy away from. You know, I mean, I think it's pretty bold to write a book about technology because like you said, it takes a while to get them printed. And in six to 12 months, a lot of things can change. So right. it's like, where, like, what's your, right. what's your trajectory to be the guy that's writing the books about the future and generative AI and the things that are very cutting edge? So uh, I'm tempted to, to uh, interpret your question as, how do you get to be a pompous know-it-all? <laughs> no, that's not in it. No way. I mean, what, what intrigued you about it or that oh, type sure. of thing? Sure. Well, I, I, I wasn't a plumber who decided I just wanted to start writing books about artificial intelligence. The truth is, uh, sorry, say I went to school for a very long time. I got a PhD in computer science specializing in artificial intelligence. And that was in 1979, if you can remember back Specializing in artificial intelligence in 19, because I know you talk about it. I know you talk about the initial in all of your books. Yeah. In 1979, though, mm -hmm. you found a school that was working on that. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to find one. Wow. It was a relatively new field, but uh, I went to the... Uh, the, uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and they had a computer science department, and this was one of the, the new topics, wow. you know, that just as today, you can go to school and study generative artificial intelligence, wow. you know, teaching courses in it and all that. So anyway, that's where it started. So you've, you've always been on the cutting edge. That's the answer. Well, yes. The short answer is yes. And and I had a 35-year uh, detour where I founded several uh, technology companies here in Silicon Valley. A bit of a stereotype in this regard, you know. I'm one of those those guys who rages venture capital and puts together, and uh, you know, two of those became public companies and uh, uh, managed different organizations. And then a couple about uh, ten or fifteen years ago, I retired because I'm really old, and I'm so glad that your your listeners don't have to look at me while I'm talking. But uh, I retired, and I I actually went back to uh, Stanford University, and I said, you know, somebody should be teaching about the history and the philosophy and the social impact of artificial intelligence, because that was not a topic. You know, they teach you how to program or they right. teach you, you know, technical skills, but not really the context, the societal context of what this was going to mean and why it was going to be important. So I said, somebody here should do that. And they turned around and said, how about you? So I kind of got sucked into teaching uh, social and economic impact of artificial intelligence. Wow. I, teach a, if I could say, a very popular course at, at Stanford. I'm right in the middle of it right now. What's it called? Uh, social and Economic Impact of Artificial Intelligence. We don't brand things very well in It's enticing. It makes me want to go back so to school. It's, keep going, though. Sorry to interrupt. I'm doing the same, same thing that you do, really, which is you know, trying to help people to train the next generation of scientists. Yeah. And uh, next generation, I should say. And uh, I have a lot of experience. It's beyond just, you know, here's how to program a computer. You know, it's, it's more about well, here's the impact of this. This is the way to think about the uh, kinds of biases that come into your programs. This is how to ensure that this is uh, properly inclusive and has many different points of view. This is the kind of regulation that we ought to consider, which is a big issue yeah. right now for this, uh, this very powerful new technology. 
So I've been teaching it for about 10 years. And what do teachers do? They take their courses and they write books. So I did that and it gives me a wonderful opportunity, you know, to talk to you and to be able to communicate to you. And I'm so delighted that, you know, you've had a chance to absorb some of the stuff that I've written. And I hope that some of it's valuable and some of it's correct. <laughs> That's a great hope, isn't it? Is that all of our hope? I hope that what I put on the world is valuable and mostly correct. I love that, Zane. Right. Well, well, you may. I know we're joking around about it, but if you if you read the book in the first chapter, one of the things I do is I say, "Look, I'm writing this at this point in time, and things are going to change. Yeah. So, how do you know if this is going to be valuable? Here's I don't know, fifteen predictions yeah. for what you're going to see over the next few years. So I say, give me my scorecard, and if I got better than 50%, go ahead and read the book, and if not, return it. Fantastic. Jerry Kaplan, it's like you can take a Stanford course. How cool is that? Jerry Kaplan, the book is Generative Artificial Intelligence, What Everyone Needs to Know. You're going to learn in this book the history. You're going to learn what generative artificial intelligence is because I think a lot of people, surprisingly, like myself, don't totally know, but now I do. What's the likely impact, the future of work, the risks and dangers, the legal status, regulation, public policy, global competition, and some philosophical issues and implications. There's a lot packed in there. You're going to get your money's worth out of this one. Jerry, what an honor. I've been waiting for years, and you exceeded my expectations. Thank you so much. Oh, great. Oh, I'm a big fan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.